0: Right here. For those of you who are new, welcome. My name's Christian. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm going to ask you if you have your Bible to turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 is where we finish today our series that we've been calling Supernatural. We're in message number 7 of a 7-week series, learning how to be aware and to understand and how to tap into the supernatural power of God. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They have Bibles available. If you want one, just wave at them, uh, and they'll give you one. If you don't have a Bible, this one's yours. Put your name in it. We've given away more than 500 Bibles since we started our church two years ago, just like this. If you just want one to use today, um, you can just use it and throw it back on the table. When you leave, we'll give it out next week again. But every Sunday, we're going to open God's Word and read it. If you don't know where 1 John is, start at the back. Because it's much closer to the back flap of your Bible than the front. You might have to flip past some notes and some uh, dictionaries and some maps and all that stuff. And then you'll flip past the book of Revelation. Then you'll go past Jude, which is about a page. Then Third John, which is a page. Then Second John, which is a page. Uh, and then you'll get, to, uh, you'll get to the book of First John. Um, I love 2nd and 3rd John because one of them is 13 verses and one of them is 14 verses. And when I hit those verses on my days of devotions, I almost feel like I have a free day. Because it's like, okay, I read a whole book of the Bible today, a whole 14 verses. And in 1st John chapter 4, verse 4, we culminate our series with this thought that John, who was at one time the youngest disciple of Jesus, and John, who was the last disciple living disciple of Jesus. So he had lived the greatest span of life, uh, really of, of probably anyone from meeting Jesus at an early age and still being alive at an older age. And here's what he says to the church that he's pastoring as he writes. First John, chapter four, verse four, he says, you dear children are from God and you have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one Who's in the world? Let me read that again. Verse four. You, dear children, are from God and you've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Now, Gatorade asked a good spiritual question for us this morning. Is it in you? Maybe you've seen that commercial of people playing sports and sweating and they ask the question, is it in you? And maybe you've even seen the Gatorade commercials where they sweat Gatorade and they sweat little drops of orange and little drops of blue and little drops of red. John today is basically making this statement to Christians. He's saying, hey, Christians, hey, those of you who go to church, hey, those of you who who say that you follow Jesus, here's my question to you. Is Jesus in you? Because if Jesus is in you, you have nothing to worry about. And this is what the whole focus of this series has been, that if we learn how to tap into the part of Jesus that's inside of us, what we call the Holy Spirit, then we have the ability not only to be close to God, we have the ability not only to have the power of God, but we have the ability to live for God well in the world. So 1 John 4, 4, let's read it one more time, and then I want to walk you through some verses to get to the meat of our message. You, dear children, are from God, and you have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Now, this apostle John also wrote a gospel. Uh, A gospel means good news. It means a story. He basically wrote a biography of Jesus' life. This is the second time John has made this statement, but the first time he quoted Jesus. In John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, Jesus, getting ready to leave his disciples, we started the series with this thought from Jesus, said, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and, and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he'll be in you. See, the whole driving force of this series is to try to figure out whether or not God is with you and whether or not God is in you. So that you can live with God and for God in the world that we live in. So the question I would ask today or the challenge that the New Testament gives over and over and over again is this. How do you know that the Spirit is in you? How do you know sitting here today? How, how can you affirm this question? Is the Spirit of God living in you? Um, how do we know how to answer that question properly? Because this important, this important thought keeps raising up through the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, said this. You need to examine yourselves to to see whether you're in the faith. You should every now and then stop and check and say, is the Spirit of God really in me? So Paul started a church in Corinth. He was there every day for 18 months. They had church. And then he left and he wrote a letter to that church and said, I need you to make sure every now and then, I just need you to do a spiritual checkup and make sure that you're still close to God. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul started a church in Philippi. He left, he wrote them a letter, and he said, You need to make sure you continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He said, It needs to be important to you. Every now and then you need to stop and say, How am I doing spiritually? And continue to work out what God has started in you. It should be an ongoing process. In 1 John 5 13, John wrote a book that we have first John. We just read 1 John 5, 4, 4. And John said, here's the entire reason I wrote the book of 1 John. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So from Jesus in John 14 to Paul in Corinthians and Philippians to John in 1 John, there was this thought in the New Testament that it was extremely important that people who were following Jesus really knew that they were following Jesus understood that they were following Jesus and could prove in their lives that they had the Spirit of God in them and that they were following Jesus. So how do we find proof of the Spirit in our lives? How do we examine ourselves spiritually? What what's the test look like? What does the grading system look like? How do we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? What does that even mean? And what did John give us in five chapters so that we can know for sure that that we have Jesus in our lives and in our hearts? I think probably Paul summed it up best in Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Galatians chapter 5. Just a few pages back to your left. Because in Galatians chapter 5, we began our series with this thought that there's this battle going on between the Spirit of God in us and the part of the flesh, which is the part of us that wants to live for ourselves and not God in us. And Paul actually told the Galatians, look, you're going to have to learn how to win this battle spiritually so that you can live for Jesus. And in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16 and going through verse 25, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envies, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or we would say patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So how do you know today if you're keeping in step with the Spirit? We've learned a lot in seven weeks. But how at the end of this seven weeks can, can we know for the rest of our life how to gauge how we're doing spiritually? I want to try to give you that answer today. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says that the fruit of your life, if you live for Jesus, the fruit of your life will look like this. Now, fruit on a tree is the outer signs of the life of the tree. So we know that a tree is alive. We know that a tree is healthy. We we even know what kind of tree the tree is by the fruit that a tree has hanging on to it. This was not Paul's word for understanding ourselves spiritually. This was not John's word for us understanding ourselves spiritually. This was actually the way that Jesus told us to evaluate things spiritually. In Matthew chapter 7, in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in verses 16 through 20, By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit from a bad tree. It bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit. A bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you're going to recognize them. I want you to see what Jesus did because he used a, a tactic in Hebrew teaching that's very important. He said something, he proved it, and then he said it again. Look at verses 16 through 20 again. He started out with this premise. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. And then he proved it by trees. And then in verse 20, he said, Therefore by their fruit, you'll recognize them. How do we examine ourselves spiritually? Like the Apostle Paul says, we do a fruit inspection. How do we make sure we're walking with the Spirit? We do a fruit inspection. Jesus said again in Matthew 12, 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Christian, how do I evaluate Whether Jesus is in me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But how do I know whether or not he's in me? We know what's inside of you by what comes out of you. Did you hear that? We know what's inside of you by what comes out of you. We know Jesus is in your heart if Jesus comes out in your life. And Paul gives us a good little checklist here. He said, here's how you can know if Jesus is in your life. He said, you just need to see whether or not you are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's what's interesting. The word fruit is, is singular. He doesn't call them the fruits of the Spirit. He says these are the fruit of the Spirit, meaning these fruit all come from the same source. You say, what, what, why is that a big deal? That's a big deal for this reason. If you're a Christian, if Jesus lives in your heart, if you are a follower of Jesus, if the Spirit is in your life, then you should have all nine of these. See, if they were fruits that came from different trees, we could say, well, I have the patience tree. I don't have the gentleness tree. Now, if you're a Christian, this would be like a tree that grew apples and oranges and bananas and kiwi, if those grow from trees, and, other, and grapes, so those grow from vines. But this would be like a tree that had all kinds of different fruit on it. Paul says, when the Spirit is in you, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. When the Spirit is in you, Here's what the temperament of your life looks like. One Holy Spirit does all these things for you, and he gives us nine of them. He says, if Jesus is in you, your life will be characterized by love. And what I really love about this is the way Jesus defines love is not the way the world defines love. You say, okay, Christian, well, I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my kids. I love the chiefs. Um, I love pizza. You know, I I have the ability to love. So I guess because I have the ability to love, then the spirit lives in me. That's not what Jesus said real love is. In Matthew five, verses forty six and forty seven, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Pagan would be represented by somebody who's not following the Spirit of God. See, Paul says, Jesus says, a Christian is recognized by the way that they love people. Not just their friends, but by the way they love all people. By by the way, when you're a Republican, you love a Democrat. And by the way, when you're a Democrat, you love a Republican. And by the way, you don't talk trash on Facebook every time there's another decision or indecision on Capitol Hill. By the way, a white person loves a black person. And by the way, a black person loves one of our Hispanic friends. By the way, we love people that that we don't even know and maybe we don't even like. But we respect in Jesus' name because the Spirit of God is in us and it teaches us to love people. It teaches us to love the beggar on the street and not question why he's there, but just to love him and to help him. It teaches us to love people in third world countries and not complain about, well, you know, they, they don't do anything all day, but just to love them and to help them. It teaches us to love orphan girls in India that we never know we'll never meet, but we want to adopt and make sure that they. Eat. It teaches us to love pastors in the Sudan and Kenya that we'll, we'll never know, we'll never meet, we'll probably never even converse with because they don't speak the same language, even if we go over there. But we care that they have a motorcycle or a bicycle and Bibles to pass out to people. Jesus says that you'll know that God is in you if you love, not just being in love, but you just, you really have a spirit of love in your life towards people. That's what Christianity looks like. Number two, Paul says, you'll know that the spirit of God is in you if you have joy. In Nehemiah 8.10, in the New King James Version, Nehemiah reminded the people of Israel on a bad day, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I meet people all the time. I meet Christians all the time. Say, I'm just not a happy person. No, listen. According to Scripture, if you're not a happy person, you're not a spiritual person. And I'm not saying you're going to be Phil Robertson happy, happy, happy all the time for you Dynasty fan, I'm not saying it's going to be like that. But the Bible says spiritual people have joy in their life. And I hear people say, well, yeah, I'm just not a joyful person. I want to stop and say, no, you're not a spiritual person. Now, you might not have joy, but it's not because you don't have joy. It's because you don't have enough of the Spirit in your life. Spiritual people live in peace, number three according to Paul in Galatians 5:22 and 23. Isaiah 26, 3 is probably my favorite verse in the Bible on peace, where Isaiah says, God, you'll keep in perfect peace those who, whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So people who trust in God, people who live close to God, people who study God's word, people who pray to God, people who worship God, they have peace that lives inside of them and comes out of them. People who have the spirit inside them have patience in their life. Number four. They have an unusual patience in their life. James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8 says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. James 5, 7 and 8 is just a perfect analogy for the bracelets that we gave out last week. Supernatural. We have to do the natural and ask God to add the super to it. You see, the farmer tills his ground, the farmer gets it soft, the farmer plants his seeds, and then what does he do? He just wait. He waits on God. See, he does everything naturally that he can do, and then he has to wait on God to make it rain. And, and Christians do everything naturally that we can do, and then we wait on God to do the super and add it to our natural. Number five, Christians should be known by their kindness and should have a spirit of kindness according to Galatians five twenty two and 23. Paul says in Romans 12:18, listen, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I was talking to someone who's close to me the other day, and um, it's just someone who, who like, if, if they had a name, if they had a name of a, um, what were the little guys that ran around Snow White called? Dwarves? Elves? Dwarves? All right, so if they had a dwarf name... Their dwarf name would would be Grumpy. Like that's just. There's, do any of you know a Grumpy and a, and a and a Sleepy and I don't know the Sleazy's one, but I knew one of those in high school. Um, you know, I mean, so so I, I've got this friend in my life who who would be a Grumpy if he had a if he had a dwarf name. And I was talking to him about what I was learning here, and he made the comment to me because I just said we we were actually eating lunch someplace, and he was just kind of rude to the waitress. And I was like, man, you like you should be nicer to like. What if she finds out we're Christians? And he's like, I don't know her. And he said, I'm I'm just not nice to people that I don't know because I'm not fake. I'm not fake. I don't know them. And I don't want to be fake. And I said, listen, it's not that you're not fake. You're not spiritual. Because Christian, the, the spirit in you makes you kind even to waiters and waitresses you don't know. And it makes you kind even to that person that cuts you off on the highway, or that person that goes less than the speed limit in the left-hand lane. Like, the Spirit of Jesus gives you unusual kindness to them. Christian fruit is to be kind to even people we, we don't know. Maybe even those we don't care for. Number six, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Especially living in this world that rages with so much spiritual, religious, political debate about this and that and everything else. One of my favorite verses is First Peter two twelve. Live such good lives among pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Listen, live such good lives that even people who look at your life, they don't agree with you. They don't like you. They don't think the same way that you think. Even those people at the end of the day are glad that you're in the world because you're a good person, and, and they're ashamed that they talk badly of you at the end of the day. Spiritual fruit is faithfulness. Spiritual fruit is faithfulness. We had our audit team in town about a month ago, and we had almost 40 people who took part in focus groups just helping us understand how our church could get better, and we'll be sharing a lot of those results as, as we go through the fall and as we begin kind of the next phase of our church now that we're in year three. But one of the exercises that the audit team gave to us coming in, they said, Christian, make a list of the 100 most faithful people in your church. And they said, here's how here's how you gauge faithfulness, consistency. Who are the people that always they just always show up? Who are the people that they always seem to be serving? Who are who are the people who give consistently? They don't even give large gifts, but they're all they they may give a dollar, but they give a dollar every week. Who are the most faithful, consistent people in your church that you could not do church without? The most faithful people you have. And then they said, we want to talk to those people. So we put together a big list. Then we invited about 60 of them to come and meet with us and talk and to give input and feedback back on our church. And about 40 of them could come. But they helped me see, Christian, it's it's the people in a church plant that are the most important are just the faithful ones the ones who continually show up, the ones who have gotten a pattern of consistency. In Second Timothy 2, verse 2, the apostle Paul told Timothy, all the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, the things you've heard me preach, he said, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. About a year into our church, I had a meeting with a man in our church who never came back after that meeting. And we had a meeting with a man. He'd been coming to our church for about eight months. Um, and he told me, hey, I want to have a meeting with you because I like to start a ministry and I like to do more. And we came and we sat down in Panera and he told me basically, hey, here's what's going on in my life spiritually. Here's what I feel like I should be doing at the church. I'd actually like to preach one Sunday if you would take a Sunday off. Uh, I want to lead a small group. And he started giving me these things that he wanted to do. And I just looked across the table at him and I said, how many times a month do you come to church? Uh, One or two. How many times have you served in our church? Well, I haven't served yet. How many times have you been to small group so I I, you know, I don't go to small group Uh, I'll only go to a small group if I lead a small group And I said how often do you give well me and my wife haven't started giving anything yet And I took my bible and I opened a second timothy chapter 2 verse 2 and I read in that verse And I said god tells me as a pastor To entrust the ministry of our church to faithful men And I just need to tell you you're not a faithful man And until you faithfully come to church serve get involved, give, until you start faithfully helping. You can't get up on the stage and preach to people. Like, that would be hypocrisy. And you know what? He never came back. But that's okay because the reality is we didn't, we didn't need him. He was never here anyway. And it's, it's interesting that Paul tells Timothy, look, just find faithful people. We can work with faithful people. I don't believe Jesus picked the best of the best. I believe he picked the most faithful those who had time or those who would prioritize time to just be with them. He said, I want you guys, because if anyone will be faithful, I can pour the Spirit in them in such a way that they can become world changers. Number eight, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Sometimes I see how Christians talk to their spouses, how Christians talk to their children, how Christians interact on social media. And I think, you know, that's not really a spirit of gentleness. Philippians 4, 5 says, let your gentleness Gentleness. Be known to all men because the Lord is at hand. See, when God's in your life, you have the spirit of gentleness in your life. And then number nine, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. Against these, Paul said, like no one can speak against these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. No one in the world is against any of those things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So John says he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. And Paul says you should check and see if he's in you. We say, well, how do we know if he's in us? You do a fruit inspection because here's the spiritual truth. A Christian should exhibit all these spiritual traits in their life. And they should have a special emphasis on those that they're lacking in. So as we wrap up this series here, here is what I have found is maybe the most important thing moving forward for the rest of our lives spiritually that we're aware of. What are the keys to understanding, being aware and tapping into the supernatural power of God? First John four one says this, dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. There's this continual thought in the New Testament to test and examine and to double check and to make sure that everything is where it needs to be spiritually, yet we never really do that. So how do, how do we make sure that we're walking in the supernatural? Key number one, we have to keep careful watch on the levels of our spiritual fruit. I said the second week of this series that we have to realize we leak spiritually. And if we don't continually fill up spiritually, we're going to leak spiritually. But what I have learned as I have read this is that we, that we leak in different areas. So I'm preparing my message, and I'm getting things ready, and I read First John chapter 4, and I'm thinking about keeping careful, watch on the levels. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to put together a survey on me. And I took a piece of paper, and I wrote down the nine fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I gave one to one of my very best friends, and I gave one to one of our staff members, And I gave one to my wife and I gave one to my kids. And I said, I want you to rank me in these areas. I want you to grade me one to 10. Give me a 10. If you if you see me do this every every time I'm around you, if you see me display this in my life, give me a 10. If I never do it, give me a one. If I have some work to do, just grade me on the scale. What what was interesting um, is that my grade actually went down the more intimately I was involved with my people, so. My friend graded me higher than my staff member who graded me higher than my wife who graded me higher than my children, if you could imagine. <laughs> um, but, but here's what's funny. All five of them gave me poor scores in the exact same two areas. So even my best test result came back with deficiencies in peace And enjoy. Christian, as we know you, we don't think you've got as much inner peace as you should have. And that reflects in your life because a lot of times you don't carry a lot of joy. You know, when you're not on the stage or shaking hands, you know, you can become kind of a real somber person. And some I got some low grades on peace and on joy. It's funny. My son, who's not here, who I, I spank way more than I spank my daughter, gave me the lowest grade on self-control, and I'm sure that I'm sure that's what he was. I'm sure that's what he was thinking. Everyone else gave me a decent grade on self-control, but uh, but that. Um, my daughter Casey, who's on the front row, actually told me because she she's the only one who said I feel like I should explain my answers because she's like me and she worries that she's going to hurt my feelings. And she said it's only when you're doing church stuff that you don't um, that you don't seem to have joy. Now, that's probably not a good testimony for a pastor to have with their children. It's only when you're doing church stuff, dad, that you don't seem to have a lot of joy. So I realized, you know, I've got some spiritual areas in my life that are leaking faster than other areas. And I prayed this morning as I got on my knees and I said, God, help me to have an inner peace that shows itself in outer joy, because clearly the people who are closest to me. They see that this is a problem in my life spiritually. So we have to keep careful watch on the levels of our spiritual fruit. But then we have to, number two, we have to be aware of the spirits. I want you to hear how I'm going to say this, that are on you but not in you. Because we talk through this series, message number two is who is the devil and what does he do? And we learned how the devil and, and demonic forces worked in the world. And every time in Scripture we hear about the devil, we, we hear about the Spirit of God being in us. We hear about the spirit of the flesh or we hear about the devil being on us. So the spirit of life is inside and it gives life. The spirit of the devil is outside and it kind of crushes us. Like in 1 Peter 5, 7 and 8, it says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Be sober and vigilant because your, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom you may devour. So cast your, Psalm 55 says, fifty five twenty two says this way, cast your burden on the Lord. The devil heaps up things on your life spiritually and emotionally. The, so the spirit is in you. The devil is, is on you. And if we look at life in the flesh, you know, when we look at when our life is kind of breaking bad, there's a, a television show out now. I've never seen it, but I've kind of heard the synopsis of a guy who's kind of breaking bad morally in his life because things are going on. every now and then as Christians, we, we break bad and we begin to live what we would say in the church. We begin to live in the flesh. We begin to be weighted down. By things, and, and we said in message number two that the devil works in eight ways. We, we called it the devil in 4D. And then we saw the devil in attitude. And we say that the devil, when we look from Genesis to Revelation, we see it, the influences of the devil found in depression and in discouragement and in discontent and in division in relationships. Every time we see the devil working, we see these spirits associated with it. Now, I understand like you understand there are some people and I have been one who have suffered from kind of clinical depression in the past. This wouldn't be an evil spirit on us. But this is how the devil works to steal joy through depression, discouragement, discontent, divisions in relationships. And then we said the devil exists in these types of attitudes. And we looked at the temptation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And we looked at the temptation of Jesus. And we said when the devil works in our minds, here's what it sounds like. The, the devil in attitude, he gives us an attitude of pride. An attitude of pride sounds like this. I got this. I got this. You know, you don't need God for this. You, you got this. The devil works in an attitude of unbelief. Did God really say? God said that to Jesus. God said that to Eve. Did God really say? It's like, okay, I know what God wants for my life, but we begin to doubt that and wonder, well, is that really what God wants for my life? The devil works through self-deception. You can do this halfway. Well, God says, if I eat that, I'm going to die. You're not going to die. Might not be, you know, might not be perfect, but you're not going to die. You can do it halfway. You know, Jesus, I knew God wants you to, to have the kingdoms of the world worship you one way. But here's another way. And the devil wants to deceive us into thinking we can do the Christianity thing halfway. Or the spirit of entitlement. You deserve this. No, you deserve that fruit. No, you deserve to be like God. No, you deserve to have angels rescue. You deserve for everyone to know that you're the Messiah. So the spirit of entitlement creeps in. So I had these people in my life do this fruit survey. And God spoke to me and said, Christian, you should. You should have them do a survey, too, to tell you where you're in the flesh. So I sent to an email and I gave it to Danielle. I didn't have my kids fill this one out. And I said, I want you to rank me in these areas as well, because I want to know me and I want to know how people perceive me. And I said, if you think that I struggle bad with depression or discouragement or a spirit of discontent or I have all these divisive relationships, if you think that I'm really bad in those areas, give me a 10. If you think I'm a great, give me give me a one. If you think I struggle with pride or unbelief or self-deception or entitlement Just be honest. I just want to know. I want to know where the devil has a foothold in my life. We talked about that word, the the foothold. What's the one thing in your life that the devil has? And all three survey results came back. And the worst score that I got was in the area of discouragement. Christian, we feel like you fight discouragement. And it's crazy because I was, even as I was praying this morning, I thought, okay, so the devil's on me. In discouraging ways, he's causing me to be discouraged. And I started thinking of the chain reaction and I thought discouragement steals my peace. And a lack of peace steals my joy. And this is an area I have to be aware of and that I have to know. When I have to pray, I have to know when I need to have coffee with a Christian friend to say, encourage me. I have to know when to send a text message and say, pray for me, I'm discouraged. I have to be aware of this. And maybe as we end this series, the thing that we need to know the most are these two keys. Maybe we need to always keep careful watch on the levels of our spiritual fruit. And here's my challenge to you: every small group that we have. Some of your small group leaders For every couple that we have, for all of you who have Christian friends, my goal this week is that you write down the nine fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and ask someone to grade you honestly on those areas. And then write down these kind of habits and attitudes of the flesh, depression, and just ask somebody to grade me. And what if we would once a month for the rest of our life check our fluid levels spiritually? so that we can know when we were low? What if we could begin to sense and feel when our spirit needed some encouragement? You yeah, know, this week, one of the men in our church, um, actually right after a small group last week, um, his heart went into AFib and then he flatlined. He went to the emergency room and literally they had to bring him back twice. So uh, Pastor Ryan and I, on Monday, uh, went to visit him in the hospital and I don't do well in hospitals. I'm not a needle hospitally um, hospital-smell type of, type of guy. I don't know if any of you are like that, but that's me. Um, and it's like my kryptonite as a pastor. I've passed out in going to visit people in the hospital, I'll go visit them in the hospital and end up passed out on the floor. When my wife got her wisdom teeth out, they asked me if I wanted to go back to the recovery room. I ended up in the recovery room. When she came to, I was in the bed next to her. They were all working on me because I had passed out. Uh, I had a, a lady in my youth ministry who was in a real bad car accident who went to Blue Valley Northwest. life lighted her down to Children's Mercy, called me into the ICU, standing over her bed, and they had not cleaned her up at all, and she had all these IVs in her. And, and I felt myself starting to go, and I grabbed the little IV pole that was in her and took it with it and unplugged all her stuff, about killed her in the hospital. So I thought, okay, don't ever grab an IV pole again. I mean, that is a lesson learned. But I was standing at the edge of this guy's bed, and we were talking, and I was holding on to the bed um, while I was there. And he said, I thought, I didn't think you'd like hospitals. Are you sure you should be here? And I said something to him that I guess I just realized this week. I said, I can, I've learned how to feel. I've, I've learned how to feel when I'm not good now. And I, I know when I'm not okay. And I know when I need to sit down. And I've kind of learned to control it because I've, I've learned what it feels like. What if we could spiritually learn what it feels like on the inside when the devil's beginning to attack us so we could know when to stop? What if we could learn what it feels like on the inside when, when we begin to realize that this, the Holy Spirit within us is draining and spiritually things What if we could learn how to feel that and we could redirect immediately? See, that's the value of this series. Not what we've learned, but what we can apply in daily situations so that for the rest of our life, this, this spirit that's in us that every now and then we should stop and examine that we would learn to feel and just have a sixth sense to know when the devil's attacking us so we can stop and pray. To have a sixth sense to know when our Holy Spirit levels are low so we can immediately begin to ask for help or go get a, go get a drink of spiritual water in scripture or make sure we get to church, we cancel something to be in church, we can just sit and worship or go to a, a ladies retreat or go to a youth ministry fall retreat or go on a mission trip. What if we could learn how to feel When we're getting ready to go down spiritually and we could stop it and redirect. That's the power of this series. And this is what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples in John 13, 14, 15, 16 and 17. Learn how to learn how to trust the spirit, follow the spirit, live by the spirit, test the spirit, examine the spirit, learn how to tap into the supernatural. Be aware of it every moment of every day for the rest of your life. And feel when it's going bad so you can redirect, so you can always stay close to Jesus. That's what all seven weeks have been about. Learning how to adjust our lives on the fly to be close to Jesus before we hit the ground spiritually. So, what would your survey look like today? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. On a scale of 1 to 10, would would your score read like a 90, 10s in all of them, or like a 9, 1s in all of them, or maybe in the 40s somewhere? I challenge you before you go to bed tonight, draw up a survey, give it to your spouse. Tonight in your small group, take one with your small group. Find a trusted friend. Find a spouse. Ask your kids. Ask them to tell you what they see in you spiritually And then learn to redirect so you can always be close to Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we're really filled with gratitude, not only for the truth of Scripture, that he who's in us is greater than he who's in the world, but for the challenge of Scripture, that because that's true, you ought to always see how much is in you. And you always ought to make sure that he's in you. And you ought to be able to look at the fruit of your life and see whether or not you've got good things in you or bad things in you. And Lord, that your scripture is even so clear on who the devil is, where he came from, and how he works, so that we can understand where he's hanging out in our life and how that's impacting us. And God, I thank you this week. As a Christian, I thank you for friends and co-workers and my wife and my kids who would honestly say, Dad, here's what we see in you spiritually. Friend, here's what we see in you spiritually. Husband, here's what I see in you spiritually. And God, I thank you for really revealing that to me and then helping me understand that this is spiritual warfare. My lack of peace, my lack of joy comes from a spirit of discouragement that comes from the devil. And God, as a Christian, I pray that you'll help me to deal with that discouragement. Help me feel it. Like I've learned to feel when I'm going to pass out in hospitals. Help me to feel, Lord, when when I'm under spiritual attack. So that I can come to the cross. So that I can tap into the supernatural spirit of God through Jesus. And I can be strengthened. And God, I pray for the men and the women. Teenagers and the children in our church right now. And every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And I won't ask for a raise of hands. I won't ask for anyone to stand. I won't ask for anyone to come forward this morning. But here's what I would ask you to be honest with yourself spiritually about. If you were a spiritual fruit inspector today, how's your life look? Let me phrase it another way as we just continue in a spirit of prayer. How's your spouse look? How do your kids look? How do your Christian friends look? What if we would all begin to evaluate ourselves and our Christian friends the way Jesus told us to and We would begin to hold each other accountable and encourage each other. And we'd begin to see when the fruit was getting a little rotten. And we begin to see when depression and discouragement and discontent and division and pride and unbelief and self-deception and entitlement were setting in and, and we could go in with some kind of spiritual weed spray and we could keep that vine healthy. What if we could begin to do this in ourselves and for others? How would that change our lives and our families and our small groups and our friendships and our church? I don't know why we don't do this, but this is the way Jesus told us to do. Examine each other by your fruit. Paul said, examine your own life by your fruit. Here's your checklist. Just every now and then, see how you're doing. And like Ephesians 5:18 said, just keep being filled up. If you're empty in an area, keep being filled up. God, we love you. And we need you. We are desperate for you, Lord. Some of us in one or two areas. Some of us in nine areas. God, some of us need spiritual victory over the devil in one area. Some of us need spiritual victory in eight areas. So, God, I pray today that you would inspect us and allow us to see what those results say. That we might be filled to the brim with the Spirit, filled to overflowing. God, that we might be victorious with our spiritual armor against the schemes of the devil in our life. God, that you would help us learn to feel when we're getting low spiritually and we're getting ready to hit the floor. So for the rest of our lives, we'll reroute, get to a good healthy position, fill up, keep living for you. Thank you for the last seven weeks and what we've learned and what we've studied and how we've grown. Bless the individuals in our church, and our church as a whole as we try through your supernatural power to live for you, to live from you, to be charged by you make a difference for you in our world and in our community. We need you to do this. So today, God, in Jesus' name, would you fill us with your spirit. Would you knock the devil off his foothold in our lives? And on October 6, 2013, would you give us victory to walk out of here and live the fourth quarter of this year, October, November, and December, better than any three months that have ever come before. We love you and we need you. Keep us close to you. Keep us filled with you. We he sings in Jesus' name today and everyone said together, Amen.